I wish you'd known me when I was alive. I was a funny fella. The crowd would hoot and holler for more. I wore a drunk's red nose for applause. Everybody and welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. Featuring the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons, each who stare down the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry, of a thing, a shape, a, a figure in the in the gloaming darkness called American Caesar Enterprises, which, Noah, uh, you will uh, attest, is a massive multinational conglomerate which translates the word exit in every known language for placement on signs of back doors all across the planet Earth. Is it that hard a job to do that? You need a whole company? I mean, they outsource it. If you know, if you, if you don't want to do it yourself, like American Caesar Enterprises is here to translate it into you, Sanskrit, you, into Hmong, whatever language that you need to get. You, right. You're inside a tea shop somewhere in Bangkok, and all of a sudden there's a freaking emergency. You're looking around. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Why am I going to yeah. get out of this place? We got you what covered. would you do with them at American Cedars Enterprises now, if you're now, of the if we, you're one of the Hmong people? No, yes. we don't make the signs. I should specify that I we see. Ju- we I just see. translate the word exit and we mail yeah. we mail you a, a right yeah yeah a piece of copper so, that so etched. Part of your job is making sure no one in the world knows of the existence of Google Translate. That's part of your job. Look, uh, I don't understand the technology. <laughs> I just, I just, you know, I just take, uh, I just take the checks from people when they uh, send yeah, it's it. Just to for us. some pointy-headed nerds in white coats and yeah, look, down right, in the lab, the right, American Caesar lab. Smarty pants. Why don't you go back to Harvard, you, uh, you, you fucking motherfucker? Very nice. <laughs> uh, my name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder, <laughs> and I'm the senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show spectacular. Uh, good to see you, Bill. Back yes. from. Uh, a week in a week in Texas, good old Texas. What's Texas Gotta like love these Texas. days? I haven't been to Texas now since uh, I would say 2009 was the only time I was there. I, I mean, I was in Austin, which is you know the best place in Texas. That's cool. I mean, look, here's my problem with 90 percent of the United States. Everything is just driving on highways. You know, yeah, driving on high downtown especially, Texas. Especially Texas, cool. yeah, yeah, driving in, in. Did I say it was Austin the best place in yeah. Texas? Did yes, I say did. that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, downtown Austin's pretty damn cool, and you know you go places, people are cool. But I just I don't know. I'm a I'm a I'm a city guy, like an East Coast West Coast city guy. I need cities. I need public transport. I need walkability. I'm one of those people. You know, I'm old school, baby. Uh, so, but that was good. Good to see some old friends and you know people I've known for decades who don't know I do this podcast. That's always nice. We drove um, um, when we were there in 2009. We drove between uh, San Antonio and Austin, and uh, along the way, I forget which highway we took. There's a massive water park in a town called New Brownfuls, which is outside of yes. both. I think in between. And they that have- is the birthplace of Alamo Draft House, isn't it? Uh, no, Austin itself is, I believe. Um, I, or at least they have a location. I had never heard of New Brownfells till I saw they have a location there. So yeah, and that's, maybe it was, I thought that's where it started. It's, okay. it's an inclusion of a lot of weird ephemeral trivia because, you know, I didn't realize there was a massive German emigre population that went to Texas in the turn of the century, I think it was. Yeah. 
Well, so, old Brownfells stands to reason is in Germany. Yeah. You would assume that the old Brownfells is there, but there's this water park yeah. called the Schlitterbahn, which is like arguably Schlitterbahn, which is as German a name as they come, but it is arguably yeah. America's biggest and best water park. It is the most diesel really? entity that trades in water slides. We didn't go there because it wasn't the right time of year, but I noted it because I've watched like a million Travel Channel shows about like how awesome the fucking slides are in that place. And, I and went you, to a water blew, park. You blew years right ago. past it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, sorry, I missed it. New Brownfells, sorry. Uh, I went to a water park in Switzerland years ago that was dynamite, and those are some scary water slides. They were totally enclosed, and you didn't know what was coming. It was pretty cool. And it was in December. Uh, anyway, so it was freezing. Uh, yeah, actually, we went on Christmas because it was smaller crowds, but it was open. It was pretty cool. No, like you actually go outside, but since it was heated. It was almost like, um, you know, those places in Iceland where you're in the water wearing nothing but a bathing suit. Oh, yeah, yeah, And it's like freezing weather, but because the water is heated, you're perfectly comfortable. I love that. What a a great invention, the hot tub outside in the cold weather. Outside of Reykjavik, we did that. And I'll tell you that uh, there's no cold like the cold of getting out of the hot water and running to the freaking door of the locker room. Yeah. Right now, there's someone listening for the first time who's already turned us off. Because he's like, oh, these elitist fucks talking about going to Reykjavik and Switzerland and Texas. Where world travelers is what we are. Anyway, anyway, we're not here to talk about water parks. We're not even here to talk about Texas. On this show, since we're old men, we look at something hot, new, happening, current, usually in our pop culture. And this is a topic. It's not of the second, Bill. That latest Netflix special I saw came out in March. But I have had three people recently recommend to me the comedy stylings of one Taylor Elise Tomlinson, a, I guess, still young comedian who I hadn't heard of till recently, uh, who has two, count them, two Netflix specials, one from 2020 and one from this past March. And she's out there. She's touring constantly. Bill, what can you tell us about Taylor Tomlinson? Well, you brought her to my attention as well because it's not. It's fair for me to say that I actually do not pay attention to who's running in stand-up circles these days. And no, not at who all. Is the, who is the leadership cast of of you know? I don't know who is the hotter stand-up acts. Yeah, as it you're, were. you're so old-fashioned. You thought the hottest comic is still Willie Tyler and Lester. You know? Yeah, I thought it was uh, uh, Vaughn Meter is still the hot topic. <laughs> <in my household. laughs> you know the joke about Vaughn Meter? The day after JFK was assassinated. Uh, yeah. Lenny Bruce had a set, and the first thing he said on stage was, well, Vaughn Meter's fucked. Those of you who don't get the joke, look up who Vaughn Meter was. You'll know exactly why he was fucked after JFK was killed. And he was. I think his career was over. This woman, Taylor Tomlinson, who, again, Noah's bringing to my attention, furnishing it. By the way, three people, Noah, told you. That's the grand total of as many people as I even know. So if you got, but three people gave this to you. That is a pretty stunning number. Yeah, exactly. So she is a stand-up comedian, uh, born in Temecula, California, but I believe grew up in Riverside, approximately 29 years of age, born in 1993, uh, who has been... Oh, my God! I know. No! Think about it. Uh, Oh, Jesus. Taylor Tomlinson has been at the craft of stand-up comedy since she was about 16 years old, if you believe local legends, uh, scrivened into into places such as Wikipedia. (laughs) Yes, yeah, so there are runes, ancient runes. Yes, in uh, Celtic uh, cave, yeah, cave paintings in Lascaux, France, that tell yeah, the story yeah. of uh, her first comedy clubs. 
after her dad signed her up for a stand-up class, which is actually a pretty baller move for a father, by the way. Uh, yeah, you know, we, well, we don't yeah. know anything more than that, but apparently her dad got her on the road, you know, got down the road for this. She began performing in church basements, school venues, coffee shops, you know, just sort of clambering around for, for, for you know, a captive audience. I see this is how your committed, your, your committed stand-up comedian begins. Right. Yeah. Uh, then, you know, story jumps a couple of years. She became a top 10 finalist on season nine of Last Comic Standing. You know, that's NBC's thing. That was 2015. Uh, she was named, of uh, 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 moved to Montreal, Canada. We're going to move the frame to Montreal, Canada for this. And, and, and she was one of the top 10 comics to watch at JFL in 2019. She which, moved to Montreal? No, no, no. She I'm lived moving, in Montreal? I'm moving the frame. Oh, you're moving the story to Montreal. Yes, moving the story to she Montreal. She did Just for Laughs. Okay. And Just for Laughs yeah. is huge. I've, I The one year I went to Just for Laughs, a bunch yeah. of shows, was the year she was born. That's right. So you, that's I feel old you were there. Yeah, I, my, that was the one summer I spent in Montreal. Yeah. I've had a couple of friends do Just for Laughs. It's, it's good for the career. It's, it's, you know, it is an honor yeah, if you can get there for sure. It's a great scene. Great scene. Uh, she's appeared on Fallon, Conan, various Comedy Central shows along the way. She even developed an ABC sitcom. I forgot the comedians, like, still do this. They still dance with networks over building sitcoms. Yeah, um, yeah that was 2017. Um, I mean, I, I forgot, like, Gerard Carmichael had one. You know, like, that's still a thing that I, I assume a lot of them don't get to air. But that's a real post-Seinfeld like kink in the chain, you know, when they did Mad About You and Seinfeld and then everybody kind of got like a whack at the wheel of doing, um, you know, but there's so few comedy, comic-based. Did that not happen in the 80s? It Not to the degree of after Seinfeld is when they really doubled. It did really? happen, of course, but it was like, it became. You know, like most comics got, I mean, not most comics, most really big name comics, you know, the people who get HBO specials would. At least get a shot at a sitcom back. But then. The, the, the number proliferated after the Tartikoff era. People really said, right. "Oh, this is this is a feeder system." Who's, like, you who's the next Seinfeld? Right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And there was a lot of single guys, and there was a lot of Christopher Titus on Fox, and you know, just right. weird stuff. Not to say these were bad right. comics, but it's not not the thing that it used to be. I mean, it's probably it, never. In some of their cases, they are bad comics. So anyway, there was a pilot. It didn't go to series, but it's like at that point, I think that. She's just happy to take the money and have the experience of doing the dance with the networks. That's fine. So Noah alluded to uh, Netflix stand-up specials. Uh, stands up special? I don't even know what the plural of that would be. but Specials stand-up. Specials st- <laughs> Her first one was called Quarter Life Crisis. Came out in March of 2020. After that, uh, Whitney Cummings, the force of nature. Uh, I assume she's one of the board of governors of, of, of stand-up comedy right now because she's been at it for a while. She's got juice and every time she goes on a tour, it's a big deal because she's a you know super headliner as they go. Put the arm on her to uh, I think she was opening up for her on the Codependent tour. That was after. I think it was between the stand-up specials. Yeah. Because I, March 2020, uh, there weren't a lot of stand-up tours embarking. Uh, maybe I'm missing the the you know. I thought that was before the special, okay. but I could be wrong. Maybe so. Right. It does, doesn't really matter. I get the point is that it happened. Yeah. Sequence is not as important. I know that she was on. I'm going to mention. They talk about this in the New York Times article about her, that she was on Cummings's podcast during the height of the lockdown, which you know yeah. makes a lot more sense than them touring. If but, we started okay. talking about stand comedy and their podcasts along, you know, during the course of the pandemic, I mean, they exploded ten thousand fold. Yeah, well, and, sure. You know, what the hell else are you gonna do? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it made finding good ones apart from finding just ones pretty difficult. But um, she, but speaking of which, she did start her own podcast in 2021 called "Sad in the City." Uh, and then whatever you might think of the Forbes 30 under 30 list, because what the fuck is Forbes magazine anyway? Besides. Um, <laughs> 
Ma- magazine named after Malcolm Forbes, somebody nobody remembers anymore. Um, that was December 2021. We'll say it's an honor regardless, even if we can't quantify what kind of uh, honor. Neither of us were put there. That's all I know. Yeah, I know. I, I just missed it. Just missed it. They said, hey, we want to put you on the list. I'm like, oh, shit, I turned 30 last week. And they hung up on me. So. And her second Netflix special, the one that Noah talked about, that's, I think, a lot of our uh, impression will be based on this. This dropped in March of 2022. And this is probably if people, there's a feeder system of topics to get to both of us, Noah in particular. This is probably what people base an yes. opinion on because yes. they follow. It is, called, it is called Look at You. Look at you. Look at you. Yeah. As I, I can't help but read it in look my head. Look at, at you. You're Sandra D. So, uh, so no. What you, since you brought her uh, up for public, yeah, yeah public brought dis- her to attention. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I think she's very good. Uh, you know, I'm a stand-up fan. I tried to be a stand-up for three years. Uh, you know, my mid twenties, my quarter life period, and you know, I watching things like this are further reminders of why I didn't make it. I. You know, I didn't have what it took, and that's it was an adventure, and you know, she's better than me, and she's probably worked harder at it than I did. So, um, yeah, she's very good. She has a very uh, admirable mastery of the art of joke writing. You know, the basic setup punchline. Uh, she has crafted what I think is a very compelling but not contrived character. You know, I mean, the idea of stand up is the abjection. You just put yourself out there for display, but it's no surprise to anyone that. They're creating a character, even if it isn't, you know, Paul Rubens being Pee Wee Herman. The version of Taylor Tomlinson on stage, I like to think is similar to Taylor Tomlinson if you knew her as, you know, a friend or whatever. But there's craft there that I can I can see the seams, but I can appreciate them rather than think they detract. Um, it's funny, at first I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, her voice is annoying. And then I'm like, is that sexist? But then I kind of, the voice grew on me and I realized it's part of the character she's making. She has a way of shifting the pitch from low to high and girly in a way that I think really pulls you in. Um, And she has a fantastic rhythm. There's a bit that I, I already told you, Bill, before we started recording that I was really impressed with where she talks about spanking. Not a, she talked about sex a lot, but not in terms of sex, in terms of, you know, uh, of uh, disciplining children and how her friend had a daughter and she mentioned spanking and her friend was upset and she starts talking about well I was spanked as a kid I feel fine do you feel fine like to the audience was anyone spanked do you feel fine I feel fine do you feel fine I feel fine do you feel fine and she spins a bit out of that that I really appreciated uh, there was another incident I wish I wrote it down the example so I can't find it where she she does she talks about something and then she gives examples kind of absurd examples of signs that she should be jealous of a boyfriend and when she's mentioning the sign she slowed it down so dramatically and i really appreciated this i saw i mean this is while i was a shitty comic i think what it gave me having spent a few years in that it gave me not necessarily a better appreciation for the art of stand-up but i think i know more than the average person about how stand-up works and i find that enables me to appreciate it more and appreciate talent more and i really feel like Watching Taylor Tomlinson, uh, I was able to make use of that skill. Um, her first special, she's a little less personal. She dives into her personal, you know, dark side a little less. And while I wouldn't say that the special was hacky, uh, in fact, I think it 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 does well because it it it's kind of the essence of a lot of stand-up is it takes hacky ideas and, and makes them feel fresh again. Uh, she doesn't really quit herself highly as with the second stand-up, where she really gets personal. 
She talks about her mother died when she was eight years old. She talks about being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, and that is one of the greatest things stand-up does. It takes very, very dark, personal, deep things and makes them funny. You know, George Carlin might be the best comic ever, in my opinion. And I think Carlin had a theme throughout a lot of his stuff of the breakdown of language and society and decorum and human nature. But, you know, he would never go 15 seconds without a laugh line. I think that's one of the things that made him great. And I think Tomlinson gets that and is, is, a, is you know, doing a worthy version of that. Uh, I'll, I'll just give a quick quote here. There's a New York Times article about this special by Jason Zinneman, my former colleague at Time Out New York. And he has a great quote. He says, uh, there's no way a special that covers night, talking about the newer special, there's no way a special that covers night terrors, panic attacks, bipolar disorder, a dead mother, and a disturbingly blunt father, along with suicidal thoughts, should seem this delightful. And I think that's a good way of putting it. And I think uh, if I would say anything negative about her, it's that it's not for me. Like, this is, this is a type of comedy. This is a type of material. She's never going to be one of my favorites. And I don't really see myself going out of my way to go see her in person because she's not for me. I think this is an act that, you know, if I may be slightly generalizing or perhaps condescending, I think this is an act that is more for women. Uh, but I'll say that more in a minute. It's not even a negative thing, you know? I mean, it's just not for me. So I think she's quite good. I'm glad she was brought to my attention, you know? Not going to be one of my favorites, but I'm, I'm glad she's out there doing her thing. I disagree. I think she is quite really? good. I think she's very good, yes. What I really I like just about said that. is um, that I watch her prowl the stage. Um, you describe the work that goes into writing stand-up, which even if you think you're funny, even if you've made jokes, even if you're a good person in conversation, writing stand-up material oh. requires so much, you know, like you need to be a construction so expert. So hard. It's so fucking so hard. hard. I've never done it. I've never done it. I've never had yeah. to worry about these things. The difference between what's on a page and what does it sound like in front of every single crowd that's possibly imaginable, all the ways that this needs to be sold. She's put the work into it. There's so many years of stand-up. You know, it's like there's some people who you heard, it's like, oh, people at work thought I was funny, and so I started doing stand-up yeah. at the club. And yeah. then I you know exactly. what, I'm, I'm 35, and I've been doing this for three years. And it's like, in, you know what, in 1989, that was one way to become a stand-up. I think that the the old the old way of doing it, though, the more time-tested way of doing it is starting it when you're a fucking child because you can't be held back from doing it. And you right. just put the, the man hour sorry, poor choice of words, the person hours into doing it over and over again because you have a fever to do it. You know, and, and when I, I watched... You can't not do you it. You can't not do it. When I, yeah. I watched um, the second one, I watched uh, uh, Look at You, and then I watched the first one second. So I watched them out of order. And uh, in between is when I sort of looked at her biographical material. I just went into it cold and I... and. Um, you know, I really didn't know what to think in terms of like what kind of person, who is this person who just made this hour of comedy that I just watched on Netflix. And once I read that she'd been at it for like 15, 17 years or something like that already, I'm like, well, that's evident. I mean, there's... 17 years? How many years? She was 12? She started 16, how, 16 years she old? Started, what's 29 minus 16, Bill? That's a, that's look, a tough one. Don't look at me. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, we, right. we have guys in here who figure that for us. What I'm saying is that <laughs> we have we have we have teams of nerdy guys, those same guys in white coats who translate the exit signs. Yeah, we got they they like in that yeah. in that vacuum tube. They're going to send up the little thing like at the bank, and the answer will be right, written exactly. in a curled up piece of paper there soon. <laughs> yes. So yeah, it's like she's got this. Um, 
you know, like the, the, the amount of work that goes into creating this really slick presentation is, is evident. Um, you know, and, and uh, I really liked her, her, you know, you talk about the character. I really like her uniform. And across the few things I've seen yeah. her do, the uniform is great. Now, every comedian kind of like picks some variation on a theme. They, don't, they shouldn't go off from it now. You figure that's their brand. So she wears a really slim like motorcycle, a motocross jacket. Um, maybe like an eight and what is it, like a what do you call it a, a halter top like a white yeah. a, a shirt um, you know and so she's got this really slim you know tucked into a pair of like slim black jeans with a yes. visible visible ankle and like patent patent leather either yes. black or white strong but sexy sexy yeah. but strong yeah exactly you know she's she's uh, you know I don't know what you would describe as a bombshell these days and she's she's not quite. Uh, you know, I mean, she's she's not like a Kate Upton type bombshell, but there's something very pretty about. I mean, conventionally pretty about what she does. There's no, you know, it it all helps. She she dresses the part, she acts the part, she's styled to be the part. I'm sure a lot of the stuff comes from, um, you know, honing it under mentors. You know, it's like I mentioned before that Whitney Cummings is somebody who picked her up for this tour, and it's like, don't tell me that she either didn't get some advice and or has been looking at these people for some sort of guidance along the way. But more than that, I you know who came to mind watching this was Amy Schumer. I feel like she is part mm. of a, a generation of comedians who kind of came post-Schumer. Now, I mean, Schumer didn't reinvent any wheels. She didn't add a 361st degree to the wheel. But I think that Amy Schumer was um, a type of comedian because, you know, Amy Schumer always ran herself down because of her weight. She ran herself down because of this, uh, you know, she thought she was a, you know, the train wreck like the movie said. There's all this sort of... Um, uh, stuff that I see in Taylor Tomlinson's stand-up. But Taylor Tomlinson has owned it. She's written, she's written her own version of it. But I see it's like, oh, it didn't begin with Amy Schumer. But Amy Schumer was a, a very influential comedian at a specific time. And Taylor Tomlinson was old enough to have watched Amy Schumer come up on, you know, Comedy Central roasts and her own Schumer show. And, you know, Amy Schumer now is what? She's in her early 40s, you know, and she, she's changed her role a little bit. You know, she she has backed off of doing comedy to some degree for a few years by having a child. And, you know, there's there's a, a gulf of that type of comedian. So um, I think that, I don't know, she's a worthy inheritor because, uh, you know, t t she's still out there in the world. Amy Schumer is still doing work. But Taylor Tomlinson is sort of part of this bulwark. And they warn you about the side effects when you get on medication. They go, you know, your sex drive might go down. And I'll be honest, I have experienced that since I got on medication. But I can't tell if my sex drive is lower or if my self-esteem is just higher now. Uh, why, and at a, at a young age, why has Tomlinson, quote-unquote, made it, you know, get meetings with ABC, two Netflix specials, we're talking about her, you know, what what accounts for her success? Well, it's true, she's made the big time because we're doing this right now. You know, Montreal just for laughs, that's fine. I, nothing, nothing compared to IDGI, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, it, you know, you could say that it's a combination of very obvious things. She's brassy, she's whip-smart, um, there's a lot of that dark cynicism in her jokes. Not, you know, that that is an important part. You brought it up, and I think it's so important to mention. There's some sludgy dark depths that she she uh, she always delivers the jokes with a smile. Or one of my favorite things that comedians do is the asides. You know, um, there's some joke that she was saying about her. She, her her dad had one one job, which is to keep her for, his four daughters, and she grew up evangelical. In like, you know, that, that evangelical outside of Los Angeles desert Christianity type thing. And 
she she doesn't push away from it so much in her comedy, but she acknowledges it and talks about how post, post, post that she is now. Um, but, you know, she talks about how the struggle for her father was to keep all her daughters abstinent as teenagers. Yeah. And she's talking yeah. about how her she was so curious and she was a sex driver and she masturbated and all these things. And she tells this joke. I can't, uh, you know, recount it exactly literally, but it was sort of like, no, one of us was defective. You can't return us to the store. You spilled some juice on the keyboard. Sorry, those keys yeah. are sticky. And it's like it's a little step of like she gets quieter and quieter and faster as she does these throwaway lines sort of adding to the metaphors along the way. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it, that is a really clever tool. And it reoccurs in her work where she's able to do the sort of step out of a joke and just give like smaller and smaller and smaller little incremental steps that create more new metaphors and visual things. And sometimes it's like it serves to make it gross and or put a little curly Q button on the end of a joke or at least three right. curly Q buttons. That's really appealing, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, overall, I think she's the modern conception of a comedian, and this is different from uh, yeah. in my in my head what I have locked into an Amber of my own, modern conception to me is somebody who was on Dangerfield's Young Comedian Special in '87. <laughs> you know, and and that's not that's not her. It's a, what's Andrew Dice Clay? Is that what you're saying? Well, that was '89, I think. No, '87. Oh God, you know the exact year, Jesus. Eighty-six. Well, yes, I do remember that because everyone came in the next day in in English in school. School. In school, they were Talked all about... they were all oh, doing Jesus. Hickory Dickory Dock. That oh, that changed God. that changed the yeah. world when that came. You out. were the target audience for Andrew. You and what we would now call incels were the target audience. Can you imagine if he emerged now? Oh. How awful he'd be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At least he's let's not talk about him when we're talking about Taylor. At Tom. least Andrew Clay Silverstein is kind of human now because he's an older man. You know, he's, he's got some yeah. humanity to him. But I mean, she look. She, she's got a marquee appearance, which is really important. Not not that every comedian, especially a female comedian who's going to survive, has to have this look. The the sort of typical blonde Californian suburban appealing look. But she's got it. She's definitely got it. It doesn't hurt her performance. Uh, her jokes and her her timing is fast as shit. There's never a chance to get bored, you know. And I, I this is not it's not worth it, it's not it's not that it's not worth it, but it's apples and oranges to compare this. The last thing I listened to was was um, uh, Gerard Carmichael's specialty when we talked about Rothaniel. And Rothaniel had a lot of moments where I found myself. It's like okay, this is a story. This is the moth portion of the show where we're into storytelling. <laughs> and now the jokes popped up, but I realized it's it's it was designed to behave differently. However, it was sold as comedy, and it's like, well, okay, I guess it's more of the Bo Burnham model of comedy, which I love, but it is definitely a different animal. This is more what I want to see in terms of the way the way a person approaches the craft and the way someone, uh, you know, you you believe her pain. And again, this is alluding back to that dark side you brought it. You believe her pain and the sort of cynical outlook as she weaves it into a speedy and sort of smiling routine that blinks a lot to sort of stay one step ahead of the damage or to, to tell you that she's she's just trying to run a little faster than her pain. And that that's appealing. I think that, that people really get into that. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you get at the most basic thing is she's good. And one of the things I've always liked about stand-up is more than most art forms, quality wins out in the end. Uh, you know, not 100% of the time, but certainly more than just acting and certainly more than music. Uh, at the risk of both mansplaining and overstating her importance, I think something we're seeing fueled by the Me Too movement is society's demanding a little more from female artists, especially female artists who are expressing themselves very personally. 
you know, if you look back 10, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of female comics who did well were doing this trick I've talked about before, which is the female comic talks about sex, especially the way men do. And that gets a laugh because it's titillation. Sarah Silverman Sarah did that. Silverman. Did that. Yep, yep. Kathy Griffin did that. I remember Kathy Griffin getting gales of laughter when she just said, I just want to meet a guy and fuck him and never talk to him again. Like, it's just titillated people that like, ooh, a woman talking like a man. Uh, but this newer wave, women like Taylor Tomlinson and Nikki Glaser and Whitney Cummings, it's, yeah, they talk about sex in pretty, you know, unvarnished terms, but it comes off as a lot more honest. And, you know, it's good. Like, it's entertainment for women shouldn't be fucking just Hallmark movies or Lifetime bullshit. It should be, you know, very honest things that speak from a genuinely, genuinely female point of view. It's part of the reason why I appreciate it, but I don't really think it's for me because it's, it's you know, comedy she's saying what we're thinking. She's saying it from a very perspective of the female experience, which I have observed but have not lived. Um, there's another quote from that article in the New York Times that I really thought got at her talent. Uh, it was about when she was on Whitney Cummings' podcast and Cummings made a joke about her hair, Tomlinson's hair, and Tomlinson shot back at her in a very effective way. And, Z and Zinneman, Jason Zinneman says, Tomlinson displayed steel, poise, showmanship, and a willingness to get tensely uncomfortable, which can help, which can help turn a good joke into a great one. More than anything, she showed a commanding ability to quickly pivot without fluster. Small talk can reveal big things. And while that might be a great description of how she acquitted herself on this podcast, that describes how to be a good comedian, yeah, I think how so. to be on yeah. stage. And she shows those things in spades, and, and, and that, that really sums up her talent. And yes, as you said, she's cute. She's blonde. She's pretty. But, you know, I don't—she's not— you know, Kate Upton pretty or Megan Fox pretty. She looks like a real person while she still looks toned and, you know, made up and all that. You know, she's, she's, she's Hollywood ugly. She's marrying in from Gilligan's Island kind of thing. Uh, so she's cute, which, you know, draws people to her, but she's not so cute that you think she's just full of shit. I got spanked growing up. Did you guys get spanked? Yeah. Come on. Do you feel fine? I feel fine. 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 If we keep saying it, will we be fine? Maybe. Noah, the uh, young person inside of you who loves comedy, would that young mm -hmm. version of you have liked uh, Taylor Tomlinson? I mean, I want to say sure, why not? But I think when we get into the jealousy thing, I have more about that. Uh, but yeah, sure. I mean, what I don't see what there is about her. I think I've said on the show before that I, I was less open-minded to quote things for women then than I am now, but I don't know if that's true. Oh, so yeah. sure, I, I would I would have thought she's great. It's funny because I, I I would have exactly thought that, especially with a comedy. For, yes, I would have I definitely would have um, would have been into her uh, when I was a kid because I I was a prodigious eater of stand-up comedy, uh, and we came. From, See, that was your problem, Bill. You were eating it. I was, we should just listen and I was watch. Sure, yeah, it was car pure carnality. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, there was. I mean, it, certainly stand-up comedy wasn't invented when we were kids, but it turned. Uh, you know, the idea that media gave it a home, a purchase in every single thing. You know, the the birth of the the, the 80s American sitcom and the televisual projection of um, stand-up comedy shows. And again, like the Rodney Dangerfield Young Comedian specials and all these things. And then eventually up until the late 80s when you had the birth of the Comedy Channel. And for the first two and a half years, they did nothing but show stand-up comedy around the clock because they had no did other Did they really? I, th 
I thought they showed old sitcoms too. Those some of it, some of it, but it's like there, they there would were, show like kids in the hall and and they like would show that. Gallagher, sh- old Gallagher shows. Gallagher, like, rest yeah. in peace. You know, there was a lot yeah. of Gallagher shows. No, I, I hear he was a real piece of shit. That guy. He was supposed to be a real asshole to the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the thing is, I I had a big hunger for stand up in particular. Now it's like I don't really go. I don't haven't seen stand up in a long time. I find my comedy in storytelling and, and situational things not even so much sitcoms but funny movies and, and and films in particular and then you know of course the goof-em-ups the make-em-ups you find online and you know the web has has in some ways scattered everything to the to the four winds but it has also been very good for comedy because a million people get to make a million different types of comedy right um yeah. but yeah you know i think going back to the point though is that i would have parceled out female comedians and male comedians when I was younger just strictly out of ignorance or just out of the just looking through the prism of gender at the world that's kind of what we did that's why we didn't have female action figures you know it was too close to playing with dolls and so if you jump ahead to being you know 16 17 18 years old and watching comedians I might have said oh yeah you know my favorite male comedian is Dennis Wolfberg you know, and my <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, the late, the late Dennis Wolfberg. I think he died like he did a whole bit about having a colonoscopy. Was that his name, Wolfberg? Yeah, he used to. I can picture him. He used to yell the end of his jokes a little bit. He had a very yeah, specific. The redheaded guy yeah. who was always licking his lips. And Dennis. He, yeah, he died of cancer. In, he years. died of cancer in like '92 or '93. He didn't make it out, but. Um, yeah, you know, that's the thing is like, I, I can't tell you off the top of my head beyond like the, the, the Elaine Boozlers and the Carol Lifers of the world and, and that sort of crop of comedians who popped up in the eighties who were, if not, if they didn't get shows of their own, they were like the support staff for other comedians. They, they were writers in prodigious joke factories, but I would have made an exception again, just out of the ignorance and the folly of youth. My parents like him, which is crazy because my dad's super overprotective he's got four daughters so he's just like playing dick goalie um, you don't have to laugh he hates that joke too <laughs> his biggest fear was that one of us would become sexually active before we're married and uh some of us have been activated so that's can't take this back to best buy i spilled some stuff on it uh those keys are sticky <laughs> uh is the success the rise of tomlinson in any way uh, a signal of the apocalypse. Now, this will be a short segment. Uh, I don't think that this is a, a sign of the apocalypse. It's a good development for comedy, as Noah Tarno likes to say, if quality can out all the time. If somebody good is doing something at a high level, one would assume that is a benchmark of work and expertise uh, and improvement. And again, over the course of the, even though it's just two years and a pandemic in between the two of these things, there is a leap. You will definitely have fun if you watch um, uh, the, the first one, uh, Quarter Life Crisis. And you will enjoy it even more if you watch the second one because there yeah, is a I think leap. the Yeah, I think the first one's good. The second one is good plus. And again, yeah. it's like two, two years doesn't quite explain that. I mean, I'm sure you could get better in any increment of time. However, it's, it's, it's markable. It's, it's, it's marked and also, remarkable. Two, two, two years where touring was difficult. If, if possible at all. You know what? It might have yeah. everything to do with sitting at home and podcasting and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, she did. By the way, we didn't mention she did this interesting series. She was dating for two years this other comic named Sam Morrill. And apparently they started dating right before the lockdown. And they did this YouTube series or I guess on Instagram of 30 to 90 minute video, like a new couple in quarantine together. Really short segments, 30 to 90 seconds. Did I say minute? Seconds shows just about 
little quick gags about a couple being stuck together. And they were very cute. And like, what a smart way to make the most of that situation. I yeah, appreciate it. But I mean, I think it's good for comedy. And, you know, she's, she's selling movies and she's, she's selling TV shows. And so we're going to see more of her outside of the stand-up milieu. And whether or not Jed Apatow gives her a train wreck. And, you know, no, you, you, don't need, you don't need that. But it's like, whatever she's no. going to do, if she's got some acting chops, she'll get a chance to work on them. But it's fun. It's it's good to see somebody. It, you know what? To go into this cold because you brought this to me a couple of weeks ago, and and we put it off for a week or so to do the 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 Goncharov thing. You know, to go into this cold and to see something good that's like a reminder that comedy comedy in the stand up form is not moribund. That I just haven't been paying attention to, mm-hmm. it and that they're worthy inheritors. That's good. I like I like seeing mm-hmm. that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This this is this is one of these things that could be described as the opposite of the Armageddon. I mean, she's pushing to the forefront. To uh, forefront, she 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 is holding the banner for two things. I feel like every aspect of our society needs more of, which is honesty and equity. You know, if we're going to survive as a race, as a culture, as a country, uh, we're going to have to be more honest with each other, and there's going to have to be more, you know, lifting up of the low and and coming back down to earth of the high, and. Her honesty feels real, you know, within the craft of stand-up. There's only so far you could be, but that's that's okay. We've all bought into this is a show. We're not expecting 100% complete honesty. And then equity, the idea that, like, making women into real people and not just, you know, decorations or, you know, fantasies. Um, I mean, that's what the best female stand-up comics do. The best, you know, female musicians do. They, Anyone who and, is... Female comedians, I mean, I say female identifying comedians and, and, stand, and uh, musicians yeah. have a position in entertainment, which you say is very valid, I think. They have a position to say something in a way that other, other artists yes. uh, can't quite get in and get their hands right. as dirty uh, up to the right. elbows as they can. It's really an important sector right. of, of entertainment. Yeah, I mean, male people in those positions do as well, but they're just, they just have had more opportunities, yeah, many right. more, over the, so, so well over the eons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Friends who scared me too when I was trying to get on medication, they were like, "Ugh, I tried. I tried antidepressants. I didn't like how I felt on them. I didn't feel like myself. And now that I'm on them, I'm like, yeah, me neither. It's the best. <laughs> okay? And I do feel like myself. I just feel like now someone's sitting on me going, shh, stop talking. You will ruin everything. We are... We are trying to help you. You'd be married right now if you just shut the hell up. All right, Nolan, here's where everything kicks in and goes to shit. Tell me about jealousy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that? I mean, apart from the fact that she begins her first special quarter-life crisis, where she's like, I'm halfway through my 20s and I am done. And that's funny, but, you know, the older you get, the more you're like... And she did it that people are like, oh, you should enjoy it. Your 20s are great. Your 20s are great. And, you know, she doesn't make me want to, you know smash her over the head with a table lamp like oh my life sucks even though it's way better than yours she's not doing that thing but i can't help being jealous of look my youth is gone you know and and you got to be a little jealous of that we're only human um but that quote i read about her strength uh you know displayed steel poise showmanship and how i say those are the keys to stand up you know i i mean that quote really crystallizes why i failed as a stand-up i did not have those things uh, I, and I think if I did, I might've made it because I look back on like the material I wrote, you know, I still have it and it was all right. You know, I, I, uh, I shared it with, uh, Wes Hazard, a, a really good stand-up comic who I work with. He hosts events for me. And Wes said, my material reads like someone who's just starting out and has potential. And I took that as a compliment. Um, but 
you know, this quote really sums up why it doesn't matter how good that material is. I wasn't going to make it with my persona. Or I guess maybe I was help, hoping, you know, because so many stand-ups are damaged people in real life. And I think the people who really make it, and I would venture Tomlinson is one of them, stand-up is where they find their steely poise, right? They can, they're able to be confident in the stand-up and arena in the way they are in other aspects of their life. And I was hoping that would be the case for me, and it certainly was not. Um, so I'm jealous that I didn't have that because if I did, you know, I might've made it or, uh, I might've had some other great experience that I feel I didn't have in life. So yeah, sure. I'm jealous. Well, anytime I see a gorgeous, what I would read is sexy person in, in pop culture yeah, but... entertainment, I'm always jealous. Um, well, she, she's, she's not as sexy as you are, Bill. Let's be honest. No, that's true. I, I've, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's intoxicating how much I've become a, um, a sex yeah. symbol to people of all. Oh, you, you are, you, you're hot stuff. But, see, people listen to the show. They might not know what we look like. Bill is like smoking hot. All right. I'm as straight as they come. But Bill, I would, I would, I would get with you. No question. Yeah, I'm what they call a bear daddy. So I have a lot of cross, uh, cross spectrum appeal. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we took that joke too far. Let's move on. Maybe so. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't. I, I'm sure. Look, I'm sure there's real life perils of being her. Um, I, you know, whatever the danger of being a public facing woman and having to deal with DMs and and people who sexualize you and all these things. And in, you know, I, I think she, again, she looks the part of somebody who I could see guys getting creepy over without any difficulty whatsoever. Oh yeah. Uh, but, but however, I would say that with what looks like a series of easy assets, which is her, her pulchritude, her poise, her jokes, her confidence that she's designed in stand up again, she may be a complete, uh, uh you know, uh, person who's just falling apart behind the stage and well i think she's sort of what i like about her bit is she, she you kind of think she might be right like yeah. she clearly has issues and yeah. she's honest and open and makes makes good art out of it yeah and, and that's uh, yeah but you know um like you say though the whole idea um or maybe you alluded to this the idea that for somebody to to for someone who looks, who is so capable at stand-up and someone who is so appealing and so attractive and, and, and you know, I get everything about the, the grooming and the, and, and the movements and the, it's all so sharp. It does suggest a, a confidence and a put-together package and expertise and a mastery of some details of life um, to, to then complain about how, um, you know, the, the, the world, uh, you're failing at life. Uh, I, I don't know if that's sort of disingenuous, but it's almost like it is that thing where I, I want to ch sometimes say to somebody, it's like, OK, you're misportraying yourself for the sake of a joke. And I get it. We're going to be funny about this. But um, it's like there are real people who are fucking up life. And it's obvious right. when you meet them instantly. Right. And they can tell jokes about it, but they don't look like you and they don't have Netflix specials. And it's like, give, yeah, give yourself yeah. a little credit because I just want to acknowledge that, you know, this isn't as fucked up as it must be if you've gotten this far doing your thing. But, Bill, one of the things that I really think sets her apart is that she does acknowledge those things. There are moments in the specials she makes some joke about having a lot of money, about being really successful at her age. I mean, the one quote, and I think the Times article says this, that I think sums it up. She goes on and on about her mother died when she was eight. And she says, you know, let's face it, that's why I became a comedian. I wouldn't be here if my mother hadn't died. And, she, and this sums up, she says, she's in heaven, I'm on Netflix, so it worked out. Unlike a lot of people, like, oh, I'm a loser, I suck. Watch my HBO special. She <laughs> takes those moments to acknowledge that she's 
lucky or, you know, kind of showing a little swagger without being obnoxious Good. about it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I really think it's one of the many things that makes her... I'm, I'm very impressed with her. She's a really good stand-up. So where would you rank her then on the Felonian scale, Noah? The basis of uh, Jane right. Fallon, who is a good close personal friend of hers, we can just assume. I don't know. Who the fuck knows? But, I don't know. Maybe. Who, yeah. who, who cares at this point? You know, we've, we've looked at a bunch of... Oh, do you remember her? When Jimmy Fallon, right after 9-11, they had the concert for America or whatever. And there's a TV special. I remember watching The Who. It might have been the last time The Who played with John Entwistle. And they had Jimmy Fallon come out. And it was produced by Lorne Michaels. And Jimmy Fallon was on SNL all the time. And he came out and did a bit. That I remember watching this going, this is like talent show, 11th grade talent show level. It was so embarrassing. And whatever. Anyway, um, so he did do stand-up. So I looked at some of the stand-ups we looked in the past, and actually, I believe the last two stand-ups we looked at were Gerard Carmichael and John Mulaney. And it came up with something very simple. Taylor Tomlinson is Gerard Carmichael times John Mulaney. Wow. And, and, and you know, maybe that's unfair to both those guys because I have issues with Mulaney, but he's very talented. Uh, I thought Carmichael was quite good. You're not actually but, doing it to those guys. You could just use them as, as examples. It's fine. Yeah, but if you're multiplying them, it implies that Tomlinson is way better than them. And I don't know if i go that far, but here was my thinking. Carmichael, very talented, but I feel like he was doing this thing in the mold of Dave Chappelle and a lot of comics like that where like, they don't seem to be working very hard. They just kind of get out there and spill their guts. There's not a lot of craft behind it. And while that might get good results because they're phenomenally talented people, it, it, you know, I'm someone who really values hard work. And when I don't see that hard work, I, I knock it a few points inevitably. Whereas Mulaney, I see a lot of work in what he does, a lot of careful craft in his writing and his delivery and his persona and his character and his voices, but he's not nearly as honest or direct, I mean, not remotely, as Carmichael or Tomlinson, right? In fact, part of what we talked about is he's talking about, I love my wife, I love my wife. And then like we find out like 30 seconds after he taped that show, he cheated on her and, and they divorced, right? So like how honest is this guy? So it is the craft of Mulaney, which is impressive, times the brutal honesty of Carmichael, right? Like she, that, yeah. she combines them both. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like this is very high praise, but she's young yet. I mean, maybe 10 years from now, we'll be saying she's the best comic working. Absolutely, she is. She is Carmichael times Milady. I pulled on the list. I just want to go for a stand-up comedy. I wanted to find some other pop culture entity, and I picked Ted Lasso because uh, you know I did not watch. Was that the second or third season of Lasso? You know, I, I kind I of it might lost have been, track. At this yeah, point. it might have been the second season I didn't watch. And I, you know, so the thing is, I sampled it. I liked it well enough. I saw what it did. It was a pan-cultural moment. People really dug into it, or at least still are. I can't even tell you where it's at these days. Not important. But the thing is, Ted Lasso was well done. Very clean-cut looking, you know? Everything about Ted Lasso was manicured and neat and knife-pressed. And, you know, D Jason Sudeikis' creation was supposed to suggest order in the face of chaos, a plum. Uh, you know, in the face of disaster. And, you know, there was always this little bit of darkness below the surface, which I don't know if Ted Lasso really got across. It attempted to do those things, but I don't know if it really, that wasn't what I stuck around with Ted Lasso to, to, to for. That wasn't the marquee attraction for me. Maybe that's why I didn't go back, but I see why some people did like it. It's because they did want a free son of divorce, a free son of unhappiness, all that stuff that was supposed to be uh, dealing there. But, it's, you know, there's something... 
some analog and all those things, darkness below the surface, and, and then, you know, essentially a job well done while looking good doing it and suggesting that almost to a degree, not a hair is out of place. You know, and it's like, I don't know if that's honesty at that stagecraft, but there's something those two things had in common. So there you go. All right. So we're done. I, I think this is a topic. Again, while I say, like, I don't think I'm going like to go to her concert, concert, I'm going to go to her show. But if someone invited me to join them, I'd probably do it. And I'm definitely going to watch her next Netflix special. When so I was Googling, that? I happened to see that she's going to be in Rotterdam. She's going to do, I don't know, an, an really? arena. Really? Yeah, I, I guess it said, that, it's not an arena for sure. I don't think she's an arena comedian. But she's going to tour Rotterdam. I don't know if she's, I'm not, I'm not going to go. But it's not. It's in the spring <laughs> okay. of this year. I'm just saying, it was like, oh, right. uh, this is this could be closer to me than it's ever been. In a weird way, but okay. Re- regardless, uh, if you like, regardless, find past episodes of this uh, show. Look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us. Don't tweet to us. Don't do that. Don't. Nobody does anyway. It's fine. It's all right. It's all just. It's all just unstructured nonsense. Write to us at noandbilldon'tgetit at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators, as we always ask. I am on Twitter for the moment at William Scurry, and my video stuff uh, stuff I've made, uh, goofy make-em-ups with comedian friends, and uh, you know essays on movies. Not culture. Taylor Tomlinson, unfortunately. Not, not in this particular case. I would love to see the two of you work together on a project. That would be cool. It would be cool. Uh, that's youtube.com slash amcaesar. And now Noah will tell you where Taylor Tomlinson is going to be appearing this month. She's not going to be working with me either. Uh, the Big Quiz Thing, bigquizthing.com, the finest in corporate and private trivia events nationwide, worldwide, in person, virtually hybrid. Uh, several of our hosts are terrific comedians, so I guess there's some relevance there. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm really off social media, man. I was trying Instagram, and then my nephews told me I'm doing Instagram wrong, so they kind of like scared me away from it. So I don't know what I'm. I, I guess, am I really a, shamed by eighteen-year-olds, man? They're, they're insta-shaming me. Yeah. Uh, are you really alive if you don't engage with social media? Really? Uh, but yeah, you know, I'm working hard. Holiday season. We still have some availability left for December. We're jamming on it. I'm busy right now. Talk to me in January. I'll have more time. Uh, but yeah, check out BigQuizThing.com. Okay, everybody, until our next episode where we continue the ongoing uh, discussion around our dead mothers and uh, evangelical strict Christian fathers. We We don't don't get get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2022.